With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Young. Good as always to have you join us. City Walk has become the latest popular leisure and travel activity among young people in China. Its threads on social media platforms have garnered hundreds of millions of views. What's the charm of City Walk? For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. Following the popularity of a hardcore travel style nicknamed special forces tourism, which means hitting as many scenic spots as possible in the shortest amount of time, now we have an alternative trend that has gained momentum recently. It's called City Walk. By roaming on foot, city walkers get away from the internet famous hotspots and commercial hubs, instead, seek out interactions with locals, enjoy authentic flavors, and the deeper appreciation for the history and culture of the location. So how popular is City Walk? Hmm. Well, first of all, obviously, City Walk means that you walk among cities. But of course, nowadays, <laughs> young people are having a nicer way to put it, right? Basically, people are just taking leisurely stroll around your familiar or unfamiliar streets and then clear your mind, explore the city and relax amidst the bustling urban environment. And this idea of city walking recently is favored by many, many young Chinese and it has gone really viral on social media platforms. And we can see according to the 2023 Tourism Research Report released by DT Taijing, which is a data research media platform focuses on financial news, 82% of the respondents expressed willingness to try City Walk, ranking the first among several other tour options. And according to Xiaohongshu, which is China's lifestyle sharing platform, the topic Holiday City Walk has so far garnered more than 450 million views, and many people are sharing their roots and experiences of city walking in their respective cities. And over the past months, the topic's traffic has increased by 190%, and the number of related posts saw an increase of 119% on Xiaohongshu, this platform. Right, so this lifestyle sharing platform. And Josh, this is kind of special that the two words city walk in English, they've migrated their way into Chinese conversation. So, you know, when you have a conversation with your friends here in China and you just mentioned city walk, apparently that makes you kind of hip and in right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, the two words in English is just like, OK, that's just a regular thing. You walk in a city and isn't that what people just do anyway if you travel to a new place and, and it's free and you have legs so what up yeah i mean it's free right and you do have legs that's uh that's a quote from her young right there um <laughs> a bit yeah, rudimentary I, <laughs> yeah it's free we have legs uh, but you say it like it's something obvious that we do but actually i don't think it is something that so many people do at least if they're going to a new destination. Um, as we know, as we've discussed before in this show, a lot of people, when they go and travel, they have an itinerary, they have a plan. 
the extent to which this plan, how packed this plan is, how many different activities these people put into their plan can differ greatly. But I think most people have a roundabout idea about what they want to do. And that's probably why they went there, especially if you're traveling a long distance, right? Um, and when you're going to, for example, one of the European cities that has all of these very old um, places and scenic spots that you want to check off your list. And I guess city walking, just designating some time to just walk around the city isn't for everyone. But I I, I think that um, it it can find its way into people's schedule. But yeah, as a designated activity, I don't think it's um, something that everybody does, right? And so it's increasing in popularity here. Uh, do you two do this? Do you put time aside to just walk around the city? That is exactly the point that I would say, because I, of course, walk around the city and <laughs> I just, you know, so fond of doing that kind of thing, but I wouldn't say that I'm a city walker. You know, I just... <laughs> well, you qualify now. You do. <laughs> but um... sounds like some sort of zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right. City walker. Um, uh, they have these kind of fancy ways to put it, um, and I just not really understand that. Or maybe I I think I can understand because people just would like to, you know, do these kind of things, make them sound fancy. Uh, but it's just a regular jogging, um, you know, maybe nearby your community. It can't be jogging. You have to <laughs> slow down oh, and God. walk. <laughs> okay, so give us an example, Yushun. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this is like clickbait on social media these days. And everybody, well, those who have left a comment say that they mm -hmm. want to know cool city walk routes in this and that city. And and this is now something that people would actively pursue when they go to a new city. Or it could just be, you know, your backyard, your home city. Mm -hmm. I actually have a bone to pick about that. It's like after the last three years, haven't we grown tired of whatever surrounding we've been in? And now, you know, we just want to be a free bird let out of the cage and go wander into, I just want to see the world. Okay, so let us know what are mm -hmm. some of the examples. Well, uh, these city walkers will explore maybe their neighborhoods. They can go beyond the tourist areas and explore different neighborhoods or streets in their cities. And each neighborhood often has its unique charm or culture or attractions and wander through the streets, visit local markets, cafes or boutiques to get a genuine feeling for the city's own unique character. Or maybe you can embrace the spontaneity when you are doing this city walking because you can allow yourself to get lost in the city streets and follow your curiosity and be open to unexpected experiences. Sometimes the best memories are made when you let go of all of your strict schedules or plans and embrace the spontaneity of exploration. And sometimes you can also, you know, go with partners or company. And that actually reminded me of the word that it was quite trending recently, dazi, right? It's, it's kind of a culture thing or... A companion. Uh, yeah. Only for the day. Mm. And that dazi thing also reminded me of another phrase that is uh, ya ma lu. We used it as like to press the road, but it's actually for just, you know, you're just walking on the streets, walking on the road, but with a companion. So uh -oh. does it have to be with a person? Yes, it has oh. to be or it, it will even people wouldn't call it ya ma lu. It was oh. just we'd be walking. Okay, you're That's... enriching my Chinese vocabulary here. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's kind of like roaming the street with mm. a special someone, Josh. Isn't that something quite nice to do? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I think that it is quite intimate and it's exciting as well. I, I find it very exciting. I'm a big city walker um, and I can do it just in Beijing. I don't even need to be go on holiday because Beijing is so massive that mm. I can go and get lost in parts of Beijing that I've never been to before. And um, I think there's just um, something so stimulating about navigating just with your mind and allowing yourself to get a bit lost, especially in an age, I, I don't even know if city walking would have even been a term, you know, 30 years ago or something like this before 
maybe even 20 years ago before we had maps and um gps in our hand right and we're constantly looking at maps all the time just to check where we are and i think that it really doesn't allow us to get our bearings and just take in our environment and i think maybe that's now why it seems almost strange or like a phenomenon of sorts just to go and walk around the city without looking at a map um i mean i guess people are city walking and looking at maps as well but um i guess the idea of it is that you can get a little bit lost right is that you don't really know exactly where you're going to go and i think there's something really beautiful about that and something quite primitive and almost going back to for me i guess it almost feels like going back to my childhood or something uh, before i had a smartphone um which feels really nostalgic i don't know if that's a good thing or a really sad thing anyway no. i'm all for the city walk for sure yeah well it's a really interesting point what you just brought up there, Josh. In today's world, just the thought that allowing yourself to be lost, I mean, how scary or, you know, just not 21st century is that? And also, I guess just for a long time, we're kind of socially programmed to want to pursue a fast pace efficiency and therefore you get the special forces style of traveling because you want to like hit all the right spots and that's just efficiency to the max but mm. on the other hand or maybe the other extreme is that you throw away all of that and you throw away your map uh, only keep your smartphone in your back pocket and just go wander around and see what fate takes you to and that's just uh i think an, it's not a new thing but it's a refreshing feeling that people are taking as an approach to travel or maybe just to have a good time and allow yourself to slow down and we've talked about this before on the show here and there but I have to admit, okay, I'm outing myself, I find it extremely difficult to slow down. It's like my head is like just always busy. And even when I'm on vacation and I tell myself to slow down, you're still looking at the attractions and you know, can you just be there and do nothing? Yes, I suppose I can, but still to achieve that kind of tranquility in your mind and allow yourself just to be in the moment and just walk wherever this city has to present to you, it's a little bit hard, I think, for those of us who have somehow, in a way, been indoctrinated by by this invisible thing with pressure. And so I understand why people want to do this, but also I would admit that it might be a little bit hard to really just let yourself go like that. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I, I think that especially if we're talking about going on holiday, I think that there's this thing like need to do syndrome or like mm. hyper arousal. Have you heard of this? And it's like- What is um, that? Well, it's like, because of things like work and um, responsibilities, we come accustomed to this idea of constantly having to be productive. Mm. And even if we say to ourselves, oh, actually I can relax on the weekend and do nothing. Actually, that's part of your schedule. Yes. So it's 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 actually part of one of the, it's one of those things that you tell yourself you need to do yeah so it, it's when like... you go on holiday mm -hmm. it's quite hard to break that routine sometimes and we are i think a lot of us are sort of wired to not switch off and we have this idea that oh we've got to for example visit this spot or because i'm here i need to do this and i need to do that and it's actually quite difficult for us to give ourselves permission to slow down just to relax right mm -hmm. it's all it's all mental and so I, I think this is this is one thing and also there's like you know fear of missing out uh fomo you know have you heard of this yeah this acronym f-o-m-o -O, yeah. right and i think this can also play a part in it so i i don't think it's strange that you feel this way i think a lot of people do when they go on holiday which is exactly why city walking i think for someone like me is a perfect way 
to sort of force myself to relax because through that physical leisurely but physical activity i'm at least i'm i can allow my body to sort of take lead the way and my mind eventually will follow and be relaxed when i do something like that i actually think uh yeah and maybe that has something to do with the topic that we talked before the special army style traveling right yeah, people special forces. Uh, special forces uh style traveling and um people will just think that they want to make their time worthy and valuable so that they will choose as many as possible of the scenic spots to travel and then maybe i think they are the same group of people when they're tired of these kind of ways and they think they need some rehabilitation this kind of thing to actually enjoy their time and um they start these kind of a city walk thing so that they can slow down and enjoy their own pace, but not to stick to the plans that they made for visit as many as possible places. Okay. And apparently some young people these days, they don't want to completely lose control in all of this. So therefore, you can have a guided city walk. You can be paying for it as well um so tell us about the variations of this leisure activity once it's become this popular yeah well many city walkers prefer to wander around the city by following their heart some also opt for guided tours around the city to gain a better understanding about the city's culture and history and all of these things that is going to happen on the street. And we can see an example of Li Linghua, who has been working in Changsha for eight years, and um, she participated in a guided city walk event for 108 yuan, that's about $15, avoiding the crowded and popular sites. And they delved into the Changsha market, ancient streets and alleys to savor the cultural heritage of the ancient city. and. They said they had a quite a good experience and um, well, I think if you are sticking to the the initial aim of city walking, you should be just wandering without any aims and it should be free. When you are paying for that, it's another thing to do. And when you have a certain route for that, it's it just got back to the original or like ordinary events that you will just take part in and it's not city walking anymore and and then we back to the point of what is the point of city walking when you can do it whenever you want and wherever you want yeah i guess so i feel as though for me it it's different the concept of this or the benefits of this or the reason i enjoy it are slightly different as i've already mentioned i, I don't really have to think about it that's that's the pro of it it's like a, it's an opportunity to to let go it's almost therapeutic or um, almost meditative to do something like this so uh, i think it can be different for different people yeah it, yeah it, why do you think then so many people now are into this i guess they're probably sick and tired of being bombarded with Xiaohongshu and Instagram posts about holidays and where to go and maybe as I said like the sort of pressure to go to certain places this FOMO thing I mean eventually there's just too many things that you're supposed to do and I guess eventually people just want to relax that's the whole point of going on holiday for most people I think um, so maybe this is the reason maybe people are just tired of chasing these trends and they just want to go and explore which is the best thing to do when you travel in my opinion i'm lucky to have traveled quite a lot and the greatest experiences i've ever had in my life not just traveling but the most memorable times have been when i've put the map down and just walked around the city and really just taken it in not worrying too much about how many sites i see in a day and what I do there just to be there and really see it from morning until evening, eating lunch and dinner, maybe even breakfast if I'm not too hungover and, you know, actually take it in. And yeah. What's the best city walk experience you've ever had? 
Um, I'll try and say them quickly, but there's two, I, I think I would right. say. The first one would have to be Paris. I think yes. Paris is an incredible place mm -hmm. Perfect to have for a city, city walk, walk if you're lucky enough to go there. Yeah. It's just the layout of the center of Paris is really navigable. It's really walkable and it's quite compact. And France actually, for very interesting historical reasons, but I won't go into it, has very wide streets. And if you've ever been to Paris, you'll notice that the roads are super wide and it's really pedestrian friendly. They've even got arrondissements, right? Which is like the districts in Paris that are specifically for pedestrians only. And um, there's like a place called Montmartre. I don't know if you've been there. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of close to uh, Notre Dame mm. and all of these places. I, I know this because I used to live in Paris for a while, right? And it's really beautiful to walk around and it's so historic. It's got some of the most incredible museums in the world and just beautiful, obviously, right? Yep. Um, an another city that I walked around was Jerusalem. I was very lucky to go there. And again, a small, compact city that is probably the most incredible place I've ever been in my life. I mean, the history um, of different religions uh, fusing together and seeing all of these really holy places and it's just such a special city and you really do not need to have that much of a plan when you're in jerusalem you just need to take a day or two and just walk around it as much as possible and yeah two of the most memorable times of my whole life i think yeah i have to agree with you paris is really perfect for a city walk but if you're completely off the map though sometimes i think as a female also when you've been around for a little bit longer. I think safety is one thing that increasingly I'm like more aware of. And that's one of the things that, um, that yes, I think is still um, good to keep in mind, especially when you're in a foreign country and city and you don't really know much about the local layout and culture and things. And uh, so that's one of the things to keep in mind. But yeah, City Walk does have its charms. And Yes, you should tell us a bit more about how it's uh, picking up steam among, they say young people, but I feel this is just for everyone, anyone mm. to want to engage and participate in. I think another reason is that people can gain a sense of ritual from this event because we all know that the, the core of City Walk is just walking and jogging in the concrete jungle, but people would like to first of all, travel to a certain place and then start city walking. And and this kind of a campaign or event to make it more special and a uh, ceremonial event, I think. So so that when people are giving it in a name and a bunch of people are doing that at the same time or doing it similarly, then I think people will think that they are actually, you know, doing something, but not just visiting a street um, and that will lose some kind of a meaning from doing this thing. Yeah, and also, um, guys, let's say if you go to a new city and without a tour guide or without a digital tour guide, which you can probably have access to via apps on your smartphone, you don't know necessarily where you are at. You don't know this beautiful building has what history. Mm -hmm. um, like, then don't you think that maybe there is something that's, well, I wouldn't say a downside, but, you know, there's something maybe missing about the trip simply because you're new to this place and you don't know where you're at and you could just have missed, you know, the most important tour spot in this country or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I absolutely see what you mean. Um, and there's some truth to it, but I think that most of the time... Uh, you can ask people, you know, and they usually have whatever happened to the good old tourist pamphlet or tourist map, right? I mean, I, I find that that's just so more so much more exciting. And I, I get your point. I get your point. It's like you go to Paris and you accidentally don't see the Eiffel Tower, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which would be really difficult to do. Or Napoleon's It'd be really tomb. difficult to miss it. <laughs> Because it's like but, hidden in this huge building, yeah, but but yeah, from yeah, the yeah. facade, you wouldn't um, know what's inside. 
But often, uh, you know what? I think that your risk of missing something would probably be less if you went on a proper city walk than if you were trying to tick them off on your phone. Because most most cities, um, the most important treasures and scenic spots and pieces of architecture are at the center of most cities. And usually, if you're walking around the the central part, the main usually the historic part of the city before it expanded right and industrialized then you're gonna see most of the spots i think so i personally think it's worth the risk but that's just me yeah it might be the risk that's worth taking and also just uh, enjoy the serendipity in life see what life takes you for a change you're listening to roundtable we'll be back with what is antagonistic personality and how do you deal with it? D-Dime, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, have you heard of an antagonistic personality? What's a nice way to put it? These folks have a constant desire to zig where others have zagged. At some point, what might be cool becomes curmudgeonly. And not all contrarians or uh, people with antagonistic personality are created equal. Some are constant creators, forever chasing the currency of clicks through outrageous opinions. For others, the ability to surprise and provoke in general has its own sense of satisfaction. But if you're on the receiving end of all of this, oof, it could be tough to handle. So we discuss how do you deal with the antagonistic personality. If you've lived long enough, you've probably come across a contrarian or antagonistic personality. If you say right, this headbutter goes left. They never hesitate to inject a contrary viewpoint, whether about a work proposal or the best J. Chow song ever. Recently, the hashtag or antagonistic personality has been trending online. So, Yushun, explain to us what is antagonistic personality. Hmm. In the social context, people will gain a sense of superiority or inferiority in the process of comparison. And when they gain a sense of inferiority or unhappiness, they will subconsciously choose to refute others in order to protect themselves so as to let themselves regain a sense of superiority. And people with this trait can be called 反驳型人格 or antagonistic personalities or antagonism. And psychologist Sigmund Freud proposed a psychological defense mechanism to explain that such behavior is a typical passive-aggressive personality. These individuals are characterized by finding it difficult to accept others' perspectives and always thinking that others' viewpoints are not as sharp or correct as their own. They believe that they are always right, and even if presented with valuable opinions, they have difficulty subjectively accepting them. Josh, what's your understanding of the antagonistic personality, and have you come across, well, there are different types of antagonistic personalities. Yes, of course, I've come across this personality. I think everybody has. I think that many people, if they're honest with themselves, maybe even myself, I think at times I have been, I, I don't know if I'd use the word antagonistic because to antagonize and to contradict mm -hmm. um, contrarian and antagonistic uh, personality, I think it's slightly different because to antagonize, at least in English, this word sort of means to annoy somebody or which which is quite negative. And contrarian is also quite negative as well, because it sort of implies that you're contradicting everything mm -hmm. just 
for many different reasons. But of course, in some instances, it can be quite a positive thing. It depends how it's done. For example, I think that actually it's important, as we do on this show, yes. we sometimes have to play devil's advocate, right? Mm. We have to entertain the alternative ideas, the alternative arguments in order to stimulate, in my opinion, proper conversation and ultimately to get to a better answer. And we have to be open to the idea that maybe our original ideas and thoughts might not be completely accurate, right? And this requires some contradiction. It may even, one may argue, it may even require one to antagonize a little bit, but that really depends on how you interpret that word. But of course, I think generally speaking, when I hear this word, it's quite a negative thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, of course, people who do this a lot, they probably have quite high critical thinking, which I think is a good thing, but often I think it's more of a seek for validation if it's done excessively, maybe even attention seeking. And this can be for mm. a multitude of reasons. Um, I'm not gonna uh, say that it's because of one particular psychological trait or anything like this, but it's probably something to do with past experiences um, and things like this. Yes, and when I first saw this term, I thought, ah, we should employ this person on roundtable. <laughs> yes, uh, we need the role. We need someone to ensue the role of a devil's advocate most of the time on the show because, you know, to cover different opinions. And I uh, did a little bit of digging. And it's so interesting when you look at the origin of the devil's advocate, apparently um, it was an official position within the Catholic Church. The job of the devil's advocate was to argue against the sainthood of candidates by uncovering evidence of unsaintly behavior and appointing a devil's advocate ensures that no single position dominates the discussion and encourages the development of additional alternatives. In theory, that sounds great. But if you look at the history of the Catholic Church, I do wonder how well that system works. But also, um, what might count as, well, let's not say as a personality, then in this case, it's more like antagonistic um, behavior, is that um, maybe this person is kind of like a competitor or have this kind of mentality. And some people are just naturally competitive in a good, fun, loving way, maybe. But there are others who might be having this interaction with you because they just want to one-up you. And that gives them great satisfaction. But there's also another type, which could just be... Um, the kind of contrarian that operates primarily from their logical left brain. They're the Spock-esque type of people, um, and they they don't mean to turn a casual conversation into a debate. It's just in their sometimes alien-like nature. To give you an example, um, the partner of one of the couples might say, oh, look at that beautiful blue sky, and the other responds, Oh, there's a cloud over there. But that person doesn't mean to start a debate. It's just, it sounds like some of the men or people who are just not really aware of, you know, some of the subtle cues in conversation or, or maybe they're just being straight. <laughs> well, yeah, from uh, my research, I saw that it's, actually kind of a you know instinct of some people it's more like a defense mechanism of underlying uh, inferiority complex um, you know that kind of a habitual tendency to refute is a typical uh, manifestation of a defense mechanism driven by an underlying often unnoticed sense of inferiority so when you sense that um, maybe some people are saying something that you don't agree you will instinctively just you know argue with them or just say another opinion but the thing is that as a grown-up you will have the ability of control yourself and you should be having the ability of listen to others opinions and discuss with that so it, it's not about you are giving another idea but it's about you have the ability of understanding or accepting other people another people's opinion so there are so many different types or variations of what this antagonistic behavior 
could be. What's your understanding of the term in relation to, let's say, critical thinking? I think that it does have something to do with critical thinking, actually, and I and I think it has something to do with intellectual stimulation. I think that if you are antagonistic or contrarian, I think that you like to scrutinize ideas. I think you enjoy that. Sometimes one may say that you enjoy it too much, if that's possible, <laughs> and that can often not help the situation. But I think it comes from a desire to scrutinize and dissect ideas. Um, look at the alternative perspectives and try to get a better understanding mm. of the issue at hand. And I, I think that sometimes people who are very antagonistic or contrarian, they feel a frustration when a conversation or people don't acknowledge yeah. those other ideas. Mm -hmm. I know that I must admit that I am like that sometimes. I really want to bring in the alternative opinion to conversations um, a lot of the time, even if I don't necessarily agree with them, because I really want to have those conversations. I think probably when I was a bit younger, I was probably more antagonistic and contrarian because I was a bit more immature and there probably was a bit of attention seeking there and need for validation. But as I get older, I, I honestly, I don't really care as much for validation. So um, less so. But yeah, I, I think that it does come from you know, a desire to dissect things, ultimately. Yeah, I think why we're saying it's relatively a negative personality is that um, these kind of people don't care about others' feelings. They only want to express what they are thinking. And um, that tends to get on people's nerves. And there is enough, maybe another word to explain this personality, and that is in Chinese, jing, right? They, these kind of people tend to pick out and refute whatever others say. And they have the tendency to output your own reasoning and ideas regardless of whether or not others want to hear them. And critical thinking is more like an idea and in response to other people's views, which means you need to have the ability to listen to others. Yeah, that's why I say contrarians are created equal. Because <laughs> another example of what you just said you shouldn't could be online trolls, you know, mm. whatever you um, comment or post online, there are bound to be people who are going to look at the worst side of things or come up with the worst extrapolation of things. And we all have to learn how to shake it off if you have an online presence. That's just part of life by the look of it and yeah when the intention of trying to sort of broaden the discussion um to make this into an intellectually stimulating uh conversation yeah you sometimes get these um antagonistic behaviors from people um i think if it's a good discussion it really depends on how you feel if you're on the like receiver end of this um if you come out feeling oh maybe i learned something oh maybe you don't want to admit it but okay now this discussion has expanded your idea and understanding of things then that's maybe a good thing but there are also the more negative um variation of this that is maybe you leave the conversation feeling a little bit hurt a little bit confused or some of the other uh negative emotions because sometimes the antagonistic personality can come with a little bit of um manipulative um behavior that basically a person's intention could just to be want to put you down and um and maybe that's when one should move away from a person like that okay so since we're on that point then the best way to deal with folks with antagonistic personality according to internet users is to give them a cold shoulder or cut them off but what if your mom or dad is like that your boyfriend is like that your coworker who sits next to you is like that. How do you deal with an antagonistic person? The first thing I would think of would still be end the conversation. You know, you should focus more on the gains and losses when you're having these conversations with this kind of people. And the biggest gap between 
individuals lies in their different perceptions, which may never convince each other. So it is better to focus on the gains and losses rather than getting caught up in right and wrong and approaching things from the other person's perspective. And um, if you believe that you are right, then there is no need to persuade others to agree, I think. So we often come across people whose opinions are always dependent on the opinions of others. They oppose when others agree and agree when others oppose. So in these cases, um, instead of arguing with them, I think it is better to just express um, agreement, you know, and continuing the argument won't help anything and it won't help them develop a holistic view, but they will continue to revel in their exceptional world. Well, Yushun is correct. I think that if you can, it's probably better to just walk away or politely end the conversation and get out of there because life is too short, you know. Um, and But the reality is that you can't always do that, right? Sometimes you're in a situation where walking away might mean losing your job or it might mean ruining a dinner party or it might mean, you know, ruining a wedding or something like this. Like sometimes you have to deal with people and there are skills that you need in order to make those situations better. What we're talking about here actually is a conflict. Now, this conflict isn't physical, of course, but it's still a conflict. Somebody has decided to verbally conflict with what you're saying. And if they're being contrary, if they're being a contrarian, then you would assume that there's it's unnecessary. And the best thing in every type of conflict, be it physical or verbal, the first thing that you've got to do is what? Stay calm, right? I think staying calm and, and composed, uh, especially when somebody's being antagonistic, is really important because escalating the situation in any way, engaging with their antagonistic behavior is only going to spur them on. It's only going to um, fan the flame. So I think that's the first thing that you need to do. And then if they're reasonable enough, depending on the level, then there are, there's, of course, a lot of skills that you can use that we use in all kinds of debates and conversations. It, validate them, you know, let them know that you understand their point of view. Um, and uh, this doesn't mean that you have to tell them that they're right all the time, but you can uh, approach it in a way that sort of uh, you're responding to alternative viewpoints and you're acknowledging the value of what they're saying, hopefully. Yeah, I think that if it gets really out of hand, then of course you have the right to walk away. Yeah, well, aren't there moments when you know you can give them the easy win, but you're just so annoyed that you don't want to let them have one, if you see what I mean. Mm. But that lets them win, right? That that means that they've won. That means they've antagonized no, 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 no. you. Like the you antagonist don't... aims to antagonize. But you don't so have don't to lose them. your calm, but you can still calmly be annoyed. <laughs> okay. okay, don't underestimate the power of saying, you know, I'd rather not debate right now. You know, like, like sometimes, Absolutely. like, because in China, we're so used to suppressing our feelings. Let's just avoid confrontation. Let's just maintain a superficial level of harmony. And then when this goes on for years, it could brew into something else. So can't we just express what we truly this is not just feeling, but let's just articulate what is really going on for a change. And I don't see why it can't be good to, you know, be explicit in having a healthy and candid conversation too. Especially if you suspect the person is intentionally pressing your buttons. It's a good point, you know, you... What is it? I can't remember the quote, but it's something along the lines of you don't have to accept every invitation to the argument, right? When someone argues with you or contradicts you and you feel as though that is some sort of conflict rather than a proper conversation, it is your absolute right to not participate in that conflict. They have invited you. They've, they've given you an invitation to have a conflict with them verbally, and you do not have to accept that invitation. That is your right, and you can reject the the invitation as you said by saying i'd rather not engage in this right now absolutely i agree 
Yeah, and I think when you have a better understanding on the whole situation right here, and you understand that, okay, he is that kind of personality, he has that kind of personality, then I, I think you will better deal with the feeling that in your mind, and um, you can better say the sentence, agree to disagree. Yeah, we agree to disagree. Mm. And that's what I adhere to on Roundtable as well, you know? So, okay, so we've talked about uh, folks on the receiving end. What about the person who is living with the antagonistic personality? How does one become this kind of personality? Yeah, I think uh, first thing is the lack of concern for others. And they only focused on winnings. You know, some individuals engage in habitual refutation simply to enjoy the feeling of winning this conversation. And they constantly seek to assert their superiority regardless of uh, the topic at hand. And regardless of what you're going to say and what you said, they will always find a way to refute it. And their intention is not to actually contribute to a meaningful discussion, but rather to engage in arguments for the sake of winning or they argue for the sake of arguing actually well i'm gonna have to be a contrarian there you shouldn't <laughs> completely disagree with you on this because i don't think that it's really anything to do with a disregard for others i i think that it may seem that way but mm. with most people that have undesirable personality traits and um, cause conflict in this way. I think if we look at the, if we're talking about the cause of this, the root of this, I think it's a lot deeper. And I think like most things, it probably starts somewhere earlier on in their lives. I think that often it's um, to do with things like past experiences and upbringings, um, such as witnessing injustice in childhood or experiencing rejection or a feeling of marginalization or a lack of recognition um, during childhood, I think this can really contribute to an antagonistic stance because it can be, often it's like a coping mechanism, I think, and a reaction to such experiences. And often a lot of people, anger, for example, why do we get angry? And I think a lot of antagonistic people, they're not always angry, but you can see when they do it that there's a degree of anger there. And anger is all about when people feel like they've lost control. People get angry because they lose control. And I think this is the same. And antagonistic people, when they contradict, I think there's an element of reclaiming control there and reclaiming one's independence against, for example, the idea, which may be like an authority or something like this. And I do think that there's definitely a desire for attention as well. Um, I think a lot of people... Uh, adopt this kind of personality to attract attention, maybe gain a sense of superiority. I'm sure there are a few people out there that do it just for fun and enjoy, you know, trolling, for example, on the internet. Is that a type of antagonistic behavior? I'd say, yes, it is. You know, I think that in a lot of cases that is, is it a disregard for the people's feelings? Yes, I agree sometimes, but I think most of the time it's a bit deeper than that. And it probably stems from something probably quite negative in one's upbringing. Hmm. Yeah, just along the lines of what you just draw there. Maybe sort of seeking to fill a void of self-esteem in a way. But when we dissect it in a discussion like this, you might feel that, oh, isn't that really petty? Like, aren't there so many other ways in life to seek validation and acknowledgement from other people? But maybe this is the uh, really easy and um, doesn't cost you a dime way to do it. That is through conversation, always like putting the other person down so that you get these minor victories. But hey, that's really just not the way to have a relationship with people because nobody wants to always be in the position of being like pushed over and down. And, and that's just that's just not a way to to interact with people. So let's say if this is, you know, a person who's who's living with um the antagonistic personality, then is this person aware of it? Is my first question. And also, how do you make peace with yourself? And thus, peace with everybody around you? I don't think they are aware of 
um, they are being like this because as we've been discussing, this kind of instinct and you react, you basically, that's kind of a body mechanism that you will naturally react to certain um, situation in the conversations. Still, the point is that um, why I said it's about the concerns for others because uh, when you are having that instinct, okay, that's natural, but you should have the ability to control it. Then, then you have the, you know, what we say empathy when you are feeling for others then you can control yourself and not to you know hurt others feelings and argue with them for the sake of winning the conversation it is a big question and i think of course the level of self-awareness will differ from person to person we're all we all have different levels of self-awareness and i think that self-awareness is actually a skill that all of us are developing it's not just people with traits that we see as undesirable, like people who are antagonistic, for example, we we all are developing our self-awareness. And I think that's a lifelong journey to some degree, right? So I think that it's the same. And I think that people who are a bit more reactionary in their behavior, people who tend to have more outbursts and things like this, I think often a lot of these people will be quite self-aware and they'll reflect afterwards and maybe reflect on the consequences of those conversations and things like this. As I said to you guys, I, I think I used to be a little bit antagonistic. And I think it came from um, seeking validation and a lack of self-confidence when I was younger. And I remember afterwards that I would feel pretty bad about some of those arguments that I would have sometimes when we'd have debates at university and stuff like this. And maybe I would be a bit contrarian and I, and I would be self-aware, but I wasn't able to exercise it properly. And I think that that can be a developing skill. Um, of course, there are definitely going to be some individuals with an antagonistic personality that lack a lot of self-awareness, for sure. This may be because they perceive their actions to be justified. Mm. I think a lot of the time these conversations are quite serious, right? And they're based around topics that people see as just, it's a just reason for me to fight for this, you know, or antagonize in this way. Um, so it gets really complex, really complex. It is really complex. Um, as a veteran of Roundtable, um, if you go to, let's say, a date, you if you go on a blind date, and sometimes it's subconscious because you're <laughs> used to, you know, always finding, like you're desperately searching for a new angle, a different opinion, a different way to uh, stab this issue and you know just don't bring it to to dating because uh usually men don't really appreciate that at all um <laughs> yeah of course if, if we're on round table if you're on a debate of I course do. you should mm, yeah okay well this maybe is one type of work injury you know because because <laughs> once she started this job she was a pacifist and look at her now Anyway, unfortunately, we also live in a world where the honest... Who? <laughs> it's me. Oh, you. Yeah. All right. I, I once just accident... There were maybe a few times, actually. Just maybe because I was, was not interested. I don't know. I just... Anyway, there, there was no second date. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just because you are not interested in him. Uh, anyway. Unfortunately, we also live in a world where the honest and vehement expression of opinion is often not appreciated. If you love something, love it unabashedly, I would say. And if you hate something, just make it clear too. Have some conviction, have some compassion. Whatever you do, do it because you mean it. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Josh Cotterell and Yushun, for joining the discussion. I'm Hyung. We'll see you next time. 